All right. Well, um, I'm not Mark, but I'm here to give some announcements. It's funny when you're a pastor and you put together a message for a certain person and they don't show up. So. <laughs> we love you, Mark. We love you. I'm going to tease him because he's on a trip. Goodness. Going down south somewhere. Uh, so announcements. We got some announcements. Uh, Easter morning is Easter's coming up. Two weeks is Easter. Two weeks. Uh, Easter Sunday's here. And uh, we're going to have a continental breakfast here. I believe it starts around 7.30 for those who want to get here early. Uh, and it'll go up to about the, the time of the, this first service. So um, please join in. There's sign-up sheets in the foyer. There's, I think it's a green or a blue sign-up sheet in the foyer on one of those tables about bringing some, some food, casseroles, uh, uh, fruits, things like that, juice, things like that. Um, so you can sign up for that. It's going to be a fun time of fellowship before we celebrate our risen Savior. Um, what else do we got here? Go on here. Uh, our Easter platter outreach is also going on. So this is going to be happening not this Monday, but the next Monday, a week from Monday. And Kathy Cody, if you know her, is coordinating this. Um, I think there's still some sheets like this in the foyer if you want to sign up um, or grab a couple that are <laughs> remaining on the seats here. Sign up uh, and for, for baking or for driving or, or for assembling platters. Um, those sheets have all the details. Uh, you can contact the office or Kathy directly if you have questions about the platter. But this, we go into the community and we... We go, of course, to the fire station, we go to the police station, we go to the uh, health clinics and all those schools and all those places uh, to thank them, thank them for their great work in the community. So it's a great thing uh, to be involved in, and we look forward to seeing the fruit that comes from that this year. Uh, what else we got here? Anything else? Oh, we got prayer. We did some prayer. Uh, there's a community sunrise service. I believe Mac is leading that. What time does it start at Moore Reservoir? Six fifteen, exit forty-four, more more reservoir, um, and so yeah, it's 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 going to be more of a, a community, yeah, community sunrise service. Uh, multiple churches are invited to that, and then yeah, come for the breakfast, come for the service, and uh, we'll celebrate Easter together. All right, well, here we are. I'll, I'll also, I'll add, um, we're going to be doing communion together. So if you didn't get a communion little communion cup. Uh, please raise your hand, and we'll get one of our, our deacons or our, uh, the guys to come and give those to you. So I'll make sure you have that for the service later on. Um, we're going to be in Luke 16. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 16, verse 19. We're going to go to uh, 31, end of the chapter in 16. This is a continuation of last week's sermon. Ran out of time. Ran out of time. If you're here, we had, to, we had to cut that short because, you know, the preacher just sometimes goes on and on. Uh, so, uh, but, and wanted to give justice to this story and not just try to cram it in in a couple minutes. And so um, I think the Lord was leading that, and it, it definitely deserves this story that Jesus is going to take us through today deserves um, its, own, its own little break here as we join together. So Luke 16, we're going to be in verse 19. Yep, I hear pages rustling, the Bible's in front of you in the seats if you don't have a Bible. Uh, like I said, this is a continuation because what we're doing is Jesus is talking to his disciples. As a re refresher from last week, Jesus is talking to his disciples. We see this early on in 16, um, and uh, he gives a story to his disciples about a manager of a, a, an estate and how this guy swindled his, his boss, his employer, but then Jesus like praises him, and, and we, we see this whole story about, about using the gifts that God has given us better than the world uses them. So this man's 
He was looking towards the future, which is one of the points of that story. We need to look towards the future. Our future, the world's future, is not secure. Our future is secure, and we are looking towards that secure future. And so while we are looking towards that secure future, how much better are we able, with the wisdom and the guidance of, of God through the Holy Spirit, how much better are we able to actually steward the, the things of this world to point them to God, his glory, and his kingdom versus someone who is looking out for his own um, survival in that, in that manger? Well, Jesus is telling that story, and we saw last week, then who also is, is listening in? Pharisees are listening in. And it says the Pharisees who were lovers of money. So when it comes to money, Jesus is telling a story about money, using money, being shrewd with money, using it well, looking for kingdom advancement, you know, uh, sharing it, being generous, all those things. And the Pharisees perk up their ears and say, wait, 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 wait. You're telling us we don't use this right? That's, you know, that's sort of, you're telling us that we're not doing this right? And he goes on and he starts talking to the Pharisees. And this is where we, we see uh, Jesus adding this second story to, uh, to his teaching here as he's talking about the Pharisees who, as a reminder, we saw last week, they, they say, they claim, they followed the law, they were following what God had said, and Jesus takes them through and says, well, you're actually twisting the law for your own benefit, for your own convenience. When you don't like something, you'll sort of twist it a little bit for you or your friends, um, and uh, so you're just using God's law to get ahead in this world. You are not stewarding what God has given you very well. And so um, that's where we pick up today, where we see in verse 14 again, the Pharisees were listening here. Uh, the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things, not just listening, it says, and scoffing at him, ridiculing Jesus, making fun. Poking, poking at Jesus. <laughs> really, really, Jesus, this is what you're going to do? And again, the, the Pharisees, we saw this last week, the Pharisees claimed that their wealth was proof that they were righteous. Their wealth thought that was, it was proof that they were righteous. Um, and the more we think our standing, our position, gives the appearance of God's blessing, the more we think that what we have or, or um, who we are, in standing or position is, is part of God's blessing, the less likely we will hold it loosely in our hands. If we think that what we have proves to people around us that, oh yes, we've got it right with God, the less likely we will actually open our hands and allow it to flow out. Because why? If we think it's a blessing and we think it's scarce and only certain people are going to get this blessing or this standing or this position and this proves our righteousness, then yeah, you're not going to let it go right? And what you're going to find is when you take this position, oh, yeah, God has blessed me in this way. Man, I must be doing well. We're following all the rules. He's really blessed us. Well, what do you got to do? You got to look for the next one and the next level up and the next level up. It's never going to be enough, and you'll find yourself trying to take in more than actually being generous with what God has given you. And their attitudes revealed their hearts, and then their hearts were revealing their, their motivation for their own success and survival. And the Pharisees are just a classic example. They, they cannot see Jesus for who he is because of their preoccupation with their love for the world around them and what the world will do for them and how they look in the world. And so Jesus is going to tell another story. He's going to definitely direct 
directly relate to the Pharisees. But again, with all Jesus' stories, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to see what happened in that original audience and kind of pick, pick apart what was going on in that original audience. And we're also supposed to do what? Insert ourselves into the story as well and see what Jesus has to say for us today. And so let's read uh, Luke 19, uh, yeah, 19, um, excuse me, Luke 16, verse 19 through 31. Let me read this for us and then we'll talk about it. So he's telling a story. This is another parable. To the Pharisees and to really everybody who's listening around him, he says this in verse 19. There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen and feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate, and he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick at his sores. Verse 22. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died, and he was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up, saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. 24, he says, Father Abraham, he called, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Verse 25, son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Verse 27, Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Verse 31, but he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. There's the story. There's the story. Rich man and Lazarus, the poor man, Lazarus. And Jesus tells this story about two men on opposite ends of the social and economic ladder. These men could not be further apart on this ladder in their position in society. One man represents the top echelon. He's, he's rich, filth, we would call him filthy rich. Filthy rich. It describes, he's wearing the, the, the purple clothes, fine linens, feasting lavishly every single day. Every meal that he has, the table is full. The table is full. And he's able to feast lavishly. And then we have uh, Lazarus, the man who re represents the lowest of the extreme, of extreme poverty, the lowest of the low as you could get sitting at his gates. For the man, the rich man, you know, think of uh, the, all the, the TV shows that we see. Oh, man, they've been going on forever, right? Uh, you know, uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous, you see that, and you see Robin Leach go into those, this is old, <laughs> into those houses, right? And, and uh, all, all the, the, the gold and all this uh, huge, you know, 10,000 square foot houses or more, all that kind of stuff. Um, we've, got, we've got so many shows that talk about wealth, and we, get, we just get to watch this. And like, oh, my goodness, what, what do we do? We sit there and say, man, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> wouldn't that be great, right? We're, we're sort of surrounded by the, this guy, this guy has his house featured on lifestyles of the rich and famous. This guy is the kind of guy who's probably driving around a Lamborghini through town, right? Takes up, you know, 
three parking spots as he parks parallel in the horizontal, you know, all that kind of stuff because it's all go, oh, my car, you know, I can't get it dinged, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so, you know, he shops at the finest places. He knows all the, the best people. He can go into a restaurant and say, I don't have reservations, but I'm here for my party of three. Can we get a table? Oh, yes, sir. Let's get you right there to that table. Lazarus shows up and says, no, you know what? You wait out back. Right? You can't ever come in here. We know that you don't have money to buy the food. You go wait out back. Maybe there's some scraps that we can throw out, out the back when the cook's done with it. That's the difference. That's the difference of these men. No two men are farther apart in their life, in their experiences, um, in their, their outlook on life. And so we can put ourselves in this situation and say, you know, what are, what are those opposites of the spectrum today? Of course, you would have rich and and poor, you would have that as an obvious factor. There's, there's all sorts of ways that we can place ourselves into this position. You, you, you know, um, you know, think of think of someone who's different than you, someone who's totally different than you. Know, so I'm, I'm a guy who barely can make it to the gym, kind of thing. You know, you can probably tell. Uh, but you know, so then you got an elite athlete on the other side, and this just huge chasm between uh, who I am and who someone like that is who can play professional ball. A king, if a king's hearing the story, you've got a king and the, the peons who serve under them, right? There's no interaction with these kind of people. Lazarus is this, this poor, sick man, poor and sick. He's not just poor, he's sick. It says he has sores all over his body. He's unclean. He's unclean. The rich man probably goes through all the rituals, cleansing rituals, making sure he's got everything perfect. So there's nothing wrong with him. And here you have Lazarus, and he sits outside the rich man's gate every single day. Imagine, so you go to a big city, especially big cities, and, and you, you see in the, the neighborhoods, you know, even in rich neighborhoods, you see some of the, the folks who are living in extreme poverty, and they sit off to the side, and they hold their signs, they have their, their cups maybe looking for change, things like that, and they're begging on the streets, and this is the, this is the picture this is the picture that Jesus is laying here. And again, he's, he's laying this out for the Pharisees because they're lovers of money. Uh, he knows their motivations. He knows their hearts. But we can probably all put ourselves into one of these positions as Jesus walks through this story. Rich, uh, Lazarus, Lazarus is sitting there, and he's starving. And he, he's, it says that, he, that he, he just wants to eat the scraps that fall from this guy's table. He didn't care what it is. He didn't care if it's, you know, chewed food and just falls off and, you know, crumbs and, and whatever. He, he, he's starving on the side of the road, and the rich man sees him every single day because he's sitting at the gate. The dogs, the dogs would come. It says the dogs would come and lick his sores. Not only was this an unhealthy situation and a situation, an illness that would make him unclean and not able to go into any of the places um, where other people would gather, uh, the dogs, which they were unclean as well, they, they would be the ones who go and, and clean up all the scraps outside. You would not want to encounter them. They are there by his side, licking up his swords, adding to his misery. And here, Jesus says in this story, both men die. Both men die. One day the poor man, in verse 22, one day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. The beggar died. 
Lazarus died, there was no funeral. There was no funeral. It says in the story that the rich man was buried. He had the funeral. He had the preacher come and tell about how wonderful his life was and everything was going well and look at God's blessings over him and he is probably enjoying a space with, with God. And, and, the, and the poor man was probably thrown into somewhere like we talked about, talk about Gehenna a couple weeks ago uh, as Jesus was describing what hell would look like in this place outside the city that was burning, constantly burning, and it was full of impure things and garbage, and everything that you would throw away would go into Gehenna as it was just burning and burning and burning, burning. and this, this man may have been thrown in the story into a place like that, into a place that was not clean, into a place that represented hell and separation from God. This is where he would have been thrown, somewhere like that. No one was there to mourn over him. No one was there to give him a burial or a, a funeral. But it says that the angels, only the angels were there recognizing his death, carrying him up into Abraham's side. And again, the rich man did have the benefits, had the money, had the status, probably had a nice spot on the hill where you know, his family could say, oh, we got this spot, we've saved for this spot, he's invested in this spot, and now he gets to see the grandeur of the, the city, or he gets to see the hillside, or he's buried under his favorite tree, and he gets to enjoy that. You know, all, the, all those things that we, sort of, we say, we talk about, you know, all those kind of things. If you're an avid golfer, I want to be buried on the golf course on the ninth hole, and you know, all, all that kind of stuff where we're like, we're, it's like we're, we have this view of we can take it with us. We can take it with us. Right? I know there's some that, you know, if you cremate, then, oh, you know, sprinkle me in the sea or sprinkle me in this play, favorite place. This is how, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're holding on. We're holding on to what we think we have. And this man probably would have been doing the same thing. And the, this preacher, again, is talking about his life and this is what we do and how great and how blessed and all those kind of things, those nice things we say. But the preacher got it mixed up because this man ends up in the opposite space, Right? It's like, oh gosh, you took the wrong turn. Oh, what's going on here? In verse 23, it says, The rich man, being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. He'd never recognized Lazarus in life. Maybe he did, but he ignored him. He recognizes him now. He recognized And again, what Jesus is not doing, we'll be very clear, what Jesus is not doing is giving us a, this is definitely how heaven and hell work, that this is not the gist of the story. He's using imagery that are gonna, that's going to pull his audience in when he talks about Abraham's side and he talks about Hades. He, he's, he's using imagery that would pull them in to, again, contrast the extremes in position in outlook, motivation, and heart within specifically these two men, the rich man and Lazarus. And so this is where this story is coming. We can't come to this one passage and say, oh, this is, this is what it looks like to be in heaven, or this is what it looks like to, to be in, in hell. That's not the point of this story, but it's to pull us in, pull us in in a real way to capture the spirit and the emotions and the magnitude of this, of where our hearts are for our Lord and our Savior. The, the rich man did not go to Hades, we'd say hell, because he was rich. That's also not the, the point of the story. Because he had wealth didn't put him in that place. Because Lazarus had nothing, 
it didn't put him in that place. We can't say that, oh, everybody who has any sort of money, then you got to start thinking about, okay, what are the rules? What are the laws? How much is too much? You know, well, I make this much, so it's obviously I'm good. So it's obviously those people who make more, you know, they're, they're the ones who are in trouble, you know, and, and, and it's, that's not where the story goes. That was, that's not what the story is trying to do is, is, you know, socially and economically break down, well, who's in and who's out. Again, Jesus goes to the heart. He's going to the heart. He knows where the Pharisees are. They're lovers of this. They're lovers of this. If we're not careful, then we fall in the trap of, okay, what do we love and what do we position before God ourselves? What can we fall, what trap can we fall in? We see, you know, Abraham was a wealthy man. He's in paradise. Lazarus goes to his side in this story. Um, money, and going, relating back to the story we saw last week, money can help send other people to heaven if we're using our resource to promote the gospel, to preach the gospel, to reach those who are lost in our communities. Or it can send people to hell, in the case of this rich man who thought he had it all, had it all together. And this was his God. It could be used for our power, or it could be used for God's power and God's kingdom. And here we see these two men end up in totally different spaces. They were in totally different spaces in life. They end up in totally different spaces in death. And, and, and Jesus, Luke records Jesus for the rich man in verse 23. He says, and being tormented in Hades, tormented in Hades. Well, in the Old Testament, you see a lot of talk about Sheol, that place when you go to die where you're waiting, you're waiting for judgment. I think it's interesting that Jesus uses the word Hades here, because what is Hades? If you've studied any sort of Greek mythology, Roman mythology, that's the term they would use. I, it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, you think you're better than other people, you think you're, you're right because you're God's people versus a Gentile, but Hades was the Gentile name. You're ending up in that space where you thought was reserved for all those bad people. And he says Abraham's side, which we would kind of look at the picture of, of heaven where Lazarus goes. Abraham's side, you know, we don't think that when we get to heaven, Abraham's there. He's got to be a big dude, right, with a big robe, you know, to, to gather all the millions of people who have come to Christ. That's not, you know, but Abraham's side, what did it mean? It meant a place of God's promise for his people, right? Abraham was their father Abraham. He, he held the promises. He, he, he was the start of the promise for the people. It's a place of God's promise. It's a place of God's protection, it's a, it's a place for his people. And so can you imagine the Pharisees and their surprise when Jesus says, oh, guess what? Lazarus, the poor man, the, the guy that you would neglect on the street, he's covered. He's in the side, sitting side by side with Abraham with all of those promises and protections that you've been waiting for all your life as God's people. And all that rich man, you know that Gentile place that they talk about where people go when, when they die and wait for the judgment? Imagine the Pharisees. I mean, you know, just trying to wrap their mind around that. Trying to wrap their mind around that. They 
Jesus is saying, they're, they're going to the place of Gentile death. That, that's huge for that time in that place. To have those contrasts, the place of Israel's promises, or the place that would be more associated with the Gentile death. Mm. Mm. Lots of great stuff built into this where Jesus is like pulling them in. And are you seeing this? This is, this is the kind of stuff why it's like we got to get him on the cross if you're a Pharisee. We got we to get rid of this guy. Get rid of this guy. And in verse 24, the rich man calls out, calls out, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. The rich man is the beggar now. And the beggar now is the rich man finding the promises. Judgment's been made. Justice in this situation has, has been realized. Judgment just as being setting things, God setting things right. Where there was a wrong, God setting something right. And this is where, you know, Jesus, as he talks about laying up, you know, storing up treasure in heaven, this is where you start to see those imageries start to tie in storing up treasure in heaven versus storing up treasures on this earth. But the rich man's character has not changed. What, is, what does he do here? Send Lazarus to dip his finger. He still sees himself above Lazarus, Right? You know, he's the kind of person who would serve someone like me in the last life. Send him down here to come and dip his finger and bring that cool drink of water for me right now. He still feels in some ways that he can command, like something can be commanded. Even while he's sitting in in Hades, something can be commanded of, of someone like Lazarus. Again, he didn't recognize him in, in, in life, now, but now he, he recognizes him here in his death. And Abraham responds to him in verse 25. Son, Abraham said, notice how Abraham, it's not a, it's not a cruel, condemning thing. It's like, son, I mean, it's like, uh, didn't you know? Weren't you part of this family? Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to, to, to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Abraham says, it's not po- your request is not possible. First, it's improper, and it's impossible. It's improper because... It would be contrary to justice, where, where God is, again, making things right, bringing justice to this world. And he's saying, during your lifetime, he's basically saying, during your lifetime, you received good things. That is, those things you considered good, those things that you thought were good. You took them in. You filled your life with them. You, you, you've, you saturated your life with that, the, the fine clothing, the the dinners, the, the good cars, you know, all these things that sort of got in the way of you seeing the future here. They were your priorities. They were your priorities. And here, Lazarus had these, these bad things happen to him. And it's not just that Lazarus, it was not Lazarus was a bad person and he made bad choices, things like that. It's like these are the things that were heaped upon him in this life. 
He received the bad things. They were heaped upon him. He could have been comforted, but there was no comfort in his life. No comfort was given to him. God is making all things new. God is reversing. God is going to reverse what we, what we expect, what we experience. It's also going to be impossible. There's a great chasm separating those who are lost and separating those who are redeemed. And once we pass from this earth, that, that chasm is there. God says that once a man dies, then comes the judgment. This is where you see this rich man waiting for the judgment. Father, then in verse 27, then I beg you to send him to my, my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so that they also won't come to this place of torment. Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Again, we notice who, who is he concerned about? His people, his family, the people closest to him. There's nothing wrong with being concerned. We, we pray dearly for our, our families. But we see again in his attitude, who is he concerned for? Well, then go say, if you can't come to me, go send Lazarus to my, my brothers because they need to hear what's happening. They need to hear what's happening. What's, they, I don't want them to experience the same thing. Just go to my house. Go to my house and save my house. Kind of sees Lazarus still as that messenger boy who can tell what to do. And, and Abraham says, well, you know, they have their proof. They've heard from Moses. You, you have the, the Torah. You have the law. You have the prophets. They've been talking about this event for a long, long time. You have everything you, you need in front of you to recognize what is happening right now. Right? Again, who's he talking to? The Pharisees. You, you, you're experts in this stuff. You, you claim to be experts in this stuff. But you can't see this. You're not seeing what's happening. And while you're using the law for your own gain, you're dismissing the needs of the people around you. And in, in this story, we, we, we do see mercy where, you know, Jesus doesn't come to the Pharisees and says, I know where your hearts are. And he says, and he doesn't just cut it off and say, well, just wait. Right? He doesn't stop it. He says, no, hear the story. See the out, possible outcomes. See where this is going. Will you open your eyes? Will you hear? Will you recognize what's here, what I'm doing right here, right now? Or will you keep your eyes shut on this? So there's great mercy in this where Jesus keeps reaching out to everybody, right? To the, the Pharisees, to his disciples, the, the crowds. He's, he continues to reach out, you know? And it's, at the end, he talks, he gives a hint. Someone's going to come back from the dead, you know, and, and, and uh, the, the rich man, he's telling Abraham, you know, hey, if someone comes back to the dead, then, then my family would repent. And Jesus is saying, saying someone's going to come back from the dead. But what's going to happen? They're not going to be persuaded. The last verse here, they're not going to be persuaded even if someone comes back from the dead. We're gonna, Easter's coming. Easter's coming in a couple weeks. <laughs> I mean, just... Uh, Glory to God, right, for what Jesus did for us, walking to the cross, 
taking on the cross, taking on our sin, taking on our guilt, taking on our, our shame, taking, taking it all on for us, dying the death that we should die, Going, you know, taking on that, that separation. You know, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is crying out, feeling a separation because of the weight of sin, dying the death that we should have died. But then again, being the one who rises from the dead, conquering sin and death. This is two weeks we celebrate this. Two weeks like, yeah, man, we're celebrating this. And he says, you're going to see it, and it's not going to change your ways. Right? Now, there are some Pharisees who will come to know Jesus as their Savior. He says, for your group, what you're looking at, how you're acting, how you're living, how you're responding, how you see this world around you, oh, you're, you're going to miss it. You had the Moses, you had the law, you had the prophets, you had all this stuff talking about me, Jesus says. And you're missing it. You're going to miss the biggest miracle of all. If you're not careful, you still won't change your ways. And so the rich man, again, looking at the rich man and the Pharisees, the rich man's filthy rich. He does not seem to have a care about the rest of his community. He's certainly not... Again, Jesus is connecting the story to what, he, what we talked about last week, right? About using the, kingdom, uh, the riches for, for kingdom purposes. He's not doing that. Even in death, he still considers himself better than others. He's making requests that will benefit him first and foremost. And then when that doesn't happen, the, the ones who are closest to him. He was, giving all, he was given all the warning signs, but he didn't have the eyes to see or, or he did not want to see it. He didn't have the eyes to see it or he did not want to see it. And he was just kind of walking through life, just thinking how, thinking how he was acting, how he was living. That's, this is just the natural order of things. For the Pharisees, this is almost like a Christmas carol for them. Remember the Christmas carol with Scrooge, right? Dickens, Dickens read the Christmas carol with Scrooge. What happens there? He, you know, in the story, there are three spirits come for Christmas, right? And for, for Scrooge and, and say, hey, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. But hey, we're going to look at Christmas, past, present, and future. You're, but you're gonna, you're gonna, if you're not careful, you're going to miss this. This is almost like what Jesus is doing here. All right, I'm, I'm giving you a glimpse. I'm giving you a glimpse. I'm telling you a story. But you're going to miss this. And, and they've, they've had all the warnings. They're, 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 the Old Testament is filled with, with warnings what would happen if, if they don't... They don't um, follow the, the, the law and what God was doing, how God was moving. Habakkuk 2.12 says this, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. This is what the man was doing. Filthy rich, his bank was full. There were great needs happening in his community. And the Pharisees are like, you know, what do you mean building a town with bloodshed? You know, we don't touch blood. We don't have anything to do with blood because that makes us unclean. Again, going back to the law to justify themselves. But what does it mean to leave a Lazarus sitting outside your door in this condition? You're contributing to his hunger, his starvation. He's there every single day. You see him. You probably trip over him. If you're not careful, you trip over him every single day because he's sitting at your gate. 
You contributing to his lack of medical care. He's covered in sores. He's unclean. Unless he gets to a doctor and gets, you know, gets this taken care of, he will be unclean. Not dealing with you know, just practical miracle of, of healing. Taking him to a doctor, having him checked out. You're contributing to the state of his uncleanliness. He's never going to get out of that. Therefore, he won't have dignity. He won't be seen as a human being by the rest of this community because he's sitting unclean. I mean, have you, have you inquired about his situation, how he got there? Is there something that can be done to help make things right for him? You may even be hastening his death. Jesus is saying, hey, someone like this sitting outside your gate, you may be even hastening his death. He's not, you see, he's not worthy to save. This is the attitude. This is your attitude. You're building a town on bloodshed and injustice. And this man who represents that is sitting right outside your doors, Jesus says. Pharisees, you hold the power of life and death in your hands. We talked about stealing last week. Pharisees, you're stealing from your brother Lazarus. But wait, I, I earned this money. I worked hard. I got all this stuff. You know, I'm doing well. You know, I'm providing for myself. I'm getting ahead. I'm doing what I can to get ahead in this world. But Jesus, he says, God has blessed you. But again, how are you using that blessing? Short-term gain, how the world looks at this, how the world looks at this thing? We're looking for the, the kingdom. In Luke 11, a couple weeks ago, we would have seen this. But woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others, other people, community around you. Can you imagine having so much money in this time and day where, 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 where food was scarce for a lot of people? You may not have had three meals a day. A lot of people may not have had three meals a day. And you have so much food that you get to tithe on it, right? You get to put that extra into the system for the temple to keep building up your system. But you can't help out that brother in need who's struggling And Lazarus sitting outside the rich man's gate, this is not an insignificant point. God is saying, hey, this man has been placed here for a, a purpose. You are in the perfect position to care for this man's needs. He sits outside of your house, but you never considered even taking him in. This is how the world works. But having a kingdom mindset is different Sacrifice is greater than power in the kingdom. A mindset of generosity is, is greater than, than hoarding when it comes to God's kingdom. Because what has God done? God has mercifully, generously given towards each and every one of us. Primarily through Christ on the cross. So that we would not be in this position that the rich man was in, ultimately. In Christ's church, should be the most joyful in seeing the needs of others met because we've been given a glimpse at the riches that God possesses and the promises that he has made for all of us. Abraham says, hey, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the scriptures. They should listen to them. But they didn't recognize the truth. Paul writes about the scriptures in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God 
is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete. And does it stop there? Complete in what? Complete in knowledge? Complete in filling me up so that I'm justified before God? Complete, equipped for every good work. See how this goes hand in hand? The gospel we've received, God invites us into his family, into his kingdom, and then those hands, our hands are open so that the generosity flows out for other people so that they may experience the gospel, the good news of Jesus as well. This is what the scriptures do for us. And he says, man, you guys twisted it, you guys twisted it so bad, you couldn't even see what was happening right now. We've got to make sure we don't twist it. We've got to make sure we don't twist it. These, were, these, these guys were the Bible guys of their day. We've got to make sure we don't miss it like that. Ugh. i got to keep moving on because we've we got to do some communion here too and, and celebrate what the Lord has done for us. Ah, goodness, this could be three weeks of stuff, but we're not going to do that. God, so this man, this rich man, was given every opportunity to live a generous life by having Lazarus in the story sitting right outside his home. We are giving, we're given multiple opportunities. As Christ Church, multiple opportunities to, to, to walk in generosity, to find places to be generous. Got a whole list here. Uh, we, you know, well, maybe we'll write a little blog post after this to talk about those places where we can be generous. God has given us, and this, this is a time maybe... Maybe during communion, this is a time we, we, we reflect on this and pray about this. God, where, where are those places of generosity? Where are those places of generosity for me? Because I'm, I'm one family. There's multiple families here. We're the big church together. But he's given us places. And there are ways to be generous. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Again, heart condition here, heart condition, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, not because of rules, not because of regulations, not because someone guilted you into this. Where is your heart? Where is your heart with this? Since God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so God is going to overflow his grace to you so that in every way, always having everything you need you may excel in every good work. Do we see again? There's this hand in hand, God's grace, God's generosity, God's life, God's love comes to you. Every good work. Something that's come to us, something that pours out and flows out of us as Christ's church. God has given us places to be generous and God has given us ways to practice generosity. Time, time talent, resources, money, all those kind of things God has allowed us to have. And some have more time, maybe less money. Some have more money, maybe less time. But God creates this church here where we work together to do this, to to help one another recognize. And we contrast you contrast the story that Jesus told about the rich man and, and, and Lazarus here, about what, how the, the Pharisees were, were looking at life. Contrast that with what the early Christians did. And we'll, we'll end with this. What the early Christians did as they took Jesus' message seriously. They took Jesus' message seriously. They took it to heart. 
transformed their hearts. And this was the result. You see in Acts 17, 6, this was the result. We got some, some folks, Paul is going out to a different city, and preaching the gospel, doing good works. And, and the city officials were shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, they were a little bit afraid because they saw what it meant to have the world turned upside down for God's kingdom. But that phrase, these men have turned the world upside down. It's the community around us saying something similar about Christ's church. Do they say, oh my word, FPC, Faith Bible Church, they are, they are starting to turn things upside down. Or are we hidden in the shadows? Are we, are we a rich man walking over the needs, bypassing the needs? Or are we that place where people around us say, FBC is turning things upside down, and people's lives are changed. People come to, come to Christ. We're going to do communion together. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Again, we, we, we know as believers, we know what this is a picture of, of Christ's sacrifice for us, his, his broken body, the blood that was shed. And we, 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 every time we, we do communion, we, we, we align ourselves with that. When we take communion, we're, we're not just recognizing, and this is not just a recognition. Oh, something happened. Christ did something for me. This is an alignment with Christ. When I, when I take this, this is an alignment. I am aligning myself, putting myself in, in, in following Christ's example. When it talks about sacrifice and looking for the kingdom, doing kingdom work, this, this is not just about a past event that we look back on and say, wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that wonderful? Isn't it glorious that Jesus died for me? This is, this is us aligning ourselves with Christ. So as we take this communion, I want us to reflect a little bit. And I'm not going to call us to take it all at once. We're going we're to worship. We're going to sing some songs and go into worship. And maybe this is a time where as we're worshiping, as you feel led, after you, you've prayed, after you've reflected, how am I best aligning myself with Christ in his work, with a story like this, with, the, with his teaching, with his instructions, with, with, with the things that he has commanded us to do, to, to love God and love one another? How am I aligning myself with Christ? So this is not just past, but this is present. This is future. And we recognize that. What does this mean for our lives? What does Christ's work mean for our lives? And we align ourselves with Christ's submission and sacrifice. We align ourselves with his mercy towards others. And sometimes, this may not be physical, but it'll feel like it sometimes, but our, our own death, the death of ourselves for other people as well. The only reason that we can do what Jesus has asked us to do is because Jesus did what we couldn't do. And he said, come on, join me, join me. So take the bread, take the cup as we're worshiping together. Reflect on what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. And then we're aligning ourselves with his great mercy and grace and kingdom outlook. Lord Jesus, we do come to you. 
We do want you to, to be our focus and our glory. We want our actions to be a reflection of you and your purposes and plans. Pray, Lord, that as we would take this communion, that we, we would reflect on the great sacrifice that you had made, but we would also reflect on what this means for us right now and right here for this day. We come in your great name, Jesus. Amen.